Heavenly Father, we do glory in you. We give you all the praise and the glory because you are our great Redeemer. We thank you for your great love for us that you would give your life to save us from our sins and from death. And Father, this morning I pray for each one of us that are here that we would be comforted by your love for us, that we would be encouraged this morning from your word and we would be strengthened by your spirit. We ask that you would give us understanding to the things that you uh, teach us from your word that are true and holy and right. And we pray that we would glorify you by living those out in our life. We do pray that the songs that we have sung uh, lift up your name and that our hearts worship you this morning in spirit and truth. May you be glorified in this time, Jesus. Amen. As you're being seated, the children are dismissed to uh, Children's Church. Do you have a Bible with you this morning? Open it up, turn it on. If you need a Bible, there's a bunch of Bibles in the lobby. We're in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. We've been there the last two weeks in chapters 1 and 2, and today we will be drawing our attention to chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3. And as you're finding uh, your spot there at Ruth chapter 3, I want you to think about plans that you have made in your life. Maybe plans for yourself individually, plans for your family, uh, plans at work, plans at school. What are the type of plans that you've set out in your life? Think about all the ones that have been successes, the good plans that you've cheered about and had joy over. But are there plans that you've made that have led to trouble? Are there plans that you've made that have completely failed? Are there plans that you have set out that have led you to ruin? In chapters 1 and 2, we have seen in this account the family of Elimelech. They have left uh, Israel and gone to Moab, which God had declared for his people not to go. And they left there during a famine, thinking that that was a good plan. And while they were there, Elimelech, the father, died. Naomi and the two sons did not return back to Bethlehem, their hometown, but they stayed there for ten more years And they, therefore, the two sons, then disobeyed the Lord, and they married Moabite women, which the law prevented them from doing. Both of those sons died, and it's at that point that Naomi decides to go back to tell her daughter-in-laws to go back to your families, to your gods, and to stay there. Orpah stays, but Ruth says, I will not stay with my family. I will be committed to you and serve you until the day I die. And Naomi returns back to Bethlehem, stating that she returns empty. And the reality is she returns bitter towards God because of the experiences that she has. And in this, we see, though, that last week that the, uh, the plans that we make are established by God as Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so if you have point A and point B and you've decided that you've got to go to one of these areas and you say, Lord, I need to know which way do you want me to go? Do you want me to go to point A or do you want me to go to point B? And then you announce to your family, we're going to point A. And they said, oh, did the Lord tell you to go to point A? No, I have a good plan. We're going to point A. 
But God's plan is that you're going to go to point B. No matter how you set out and whatever you do to go to point A, you're going to end up in point B if it's in the Lord's will and His plan. Just like Jonah saying he's not going to Nineveh, God said, yes, you're going to Nineveh, and he ends up in Nineveh. And therefore, this morning, we look at how in the, in, the, in the whole book of Ruth here and how man makes their plans that God is sovereign, and according to his providence, he directs all things under his will for his glory and the good of his people. Therefore, when your plans lead you to trouble and lead you to ruin and lead you to those low points, uh, you must be reminded that your hope is in God who is loving and merciful and His plans that He establishes, they stand and they will be fulfilled. The scriptural truth from Ruth chapter 3 is this. The love of God is seen in His plan of redemption for His people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look with me at Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not done, gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The Word of God. We're blessed that we can read the Word of God, that this is not just some made-up story, but it's an account of truth that God has given for you and I to read this morning. Would you again pray with me? Father, we ask that in this uh, time of reading Your Word and the preaching of the Word, that You would work upon our hearts, 
Some of us have read this story multiple times. Some of us can tell this story without opening the book. But it is your Holy Spirit that is needed for us to understand and to apply it and to live by it. We praise you, Jesus, that you are our great Redeemer who has given your life for us. And we pray that you would be glorified in the reading and the preaching of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would look with me at verses 1 through 5, we see that Naomi has come to a point where she's put together a plan. And it's quite a dangerous and risky plan when you begin to look at what she is asking. And I don't know about you, but when you read through all four chapters and when you get to chapter 3, there's a lot of tension because this plan could be a very good plan or it could be a very bad, bad plan and be uh, something that causes a lot of trouble. If you were reading in chapter 1, back in verses 8 and 9, she had prayed for her daughter-in-laws that they would have rest. She says, go back to your families and uh, may you find rest in a, in a new husband and children there uh, in your homeland. And here we see that Naomi now is making the plans to answer the prayer to seek rest for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She has a plan to get a husband. And you see this in verse 1, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? She sounds like a matchmaker here. Think about Boaz. She says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight after the threshing floor. Naomi has set out and said, You know what? He is our relative. He is a redeemer. Uh, we, we were reading last week, it just happened that Ruth shows up in the right field at the right time and Boaz happens, and yet we saw that that was not luck or coincidence, but it is God's providence that she ended up there in that field. We don't know how many weeks of the harvest has gone by now. We don't know what has taken place between Boaz and Ruth while she's out there gleaning. We know now, though, that Naomi has decided, I'm going to find a husband for my daughter-in-law, and why not be Boaz? to the field that she's already uh, there gleaning in. And what we see here, when you look at verses 1 through 5, it teaches us again about God's providence. It teaches us about how God has set out a plan and we make our plans and God works through all of these things uh, that He would direct His plans to take place. But Naomi begins to answer her own prayer by setting out this plan and it shows us again how God and humans work in these things together and how God is the one who brings about His plan. So there's a door open. Boaz is there. Naomi needs to take some action is what she really is doing. And instead of just waiting passively back and waiting for this to somehow magically happen, she now says there's an opportunity presented. I've prayed for these things. And so Naomi, you need to act. And it is not a coincidence that she is there. Now, if you go back to what we saw in verse one and in verse, I mean, chapter one and chapter two, uh, Naomi was very upset and bitter with the Lord God. She was mad at God. She came back to Bethlehem, said she's going home empty, even though she had her daughter-in-law Ruth. And in Ruth chapter two, if you look at verse twenty, is where we began to see a heart change happening in Naomi. It says in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
And it was at that point when she realized the field that you're in is owned by one of our relatives who happens to be one of our kinsmen redeemers. She begins to be joyful and excited about these things and the bitterness begins to wane as she realizes that all along God has been caring for all of her needs. I wonder how many of us turn and have bitter hearts towards God because trouble in this world happens and we do not see how God is continuing to care for us throughout all of the ups and through all of the downs. But yet many times we're quick to be like Naomi and to be bitter with God when all along He is continuing to enact His plans for your good and His glory. So what she says, here's the plan, Naomi, verse 3, I want you to go take a bath, wash yourself, put on a cloak. She says, I want you to smell good. I want you to dress up and look beautiful, and I want you to go down to the threshing floor at night. And you think, wait a minute. From the last two chapters, we were reading this, Naomi and Boaz both pointed out that being out at night was a dangerous thing. So why would Naomi now say, Ruth, you need to go in the, you know, under the secrecy of darkness and go and find Boaz at this moment? I want you to dress up. I want you to smell good. And remember, Ruth is not an Israelite. She is a Moabite. So she is a foreigner, and she is being told to go out and go find this man, Boaz, after he's already worked all day, after they've had this party, and he's eaten and he's drunk, and lay down and go and find him and go lay down next to him. And you think when you read this, at least when I read it, I'm like, this is a bad plan. This is not something that you tell your daughter-in-law to go do at nighttime. Go find this man and go lay down next to him and he will tell you what to do. In our world, that is not wisdom. Do not go find a man at night and wait for him and lay down next to him and tell him what to do. Because you think of this, what if she laid down next to the wrong guy? <clears throat> Most likely, Boaz was not the only one working there that night. We already know he has guys working with him. What if she lays down next to him, and they fall into temptation, and they have sex? What if while they are there, and she's laying next to him, people find them and charge them with adultery? Because you know what the charge for adultery was? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall, be, shall surely be put to what? Death. Naomi, go find Boaz. Go lay down next to him at nighttime. He'll tell you what to do. We'll pray that no one finds you and wants to stone you to death. Great plan, mom, mother-in-law. And don't forget, Numbers 25 tells us the Moabite women were charged with misleading the Israelite men into sexual sin and idolatry. So here you have a Moabite woman going out, laying down next to a man at nighttime, and by the way, Ruth, he will tell you what to do. Again, as I read this, I go, this doesn't sound like a right plan. It's a risky plan. It's a dangerous plan. We don't have any scripture that says that Naomi prayed and said, Lord, is this the plan? And he said, yes, that's the plan. We don't have that. It's, it's, this is Naomi's plan. But Ruth is obedient. She loves her mother-in-law. And it says in verse 5, she replies, all that you say, I will do. Now that takes some boldness. Okay, I will go. 
Well, if you look at verses 6 and 11, some of this we understand why, because she's a worthy woman. The second point is that she's a worthy woman. Actually, in verse 11, it, that is the description of this woman, Ruth. So Ruth does exactly what Naomi commands her to do. She goes out, she dresses up, she puts on the perfume, whatever it is to make herself look great. She goes down to the threshing floor. She waits until Boaz and the men have their party and they're done. And Boaz lays down uh, next to the grain heap, possibly because he's guarding it from thieves, maybe because he's tired from the long day, whatever it is. She finds him and it says that she lays down and uncovers his feet. And then, look at verse 8. Lo and behold, at midnight, a woman lay at his feet. He wakes up, his feet, legs, whatever are cold. He turns over, he's been sleeping, and he finds a woman at his feet. It's obviously either dark enough or he's in such a stupor of sleep that he's like, who are you? She said, I am Ruth, verse 9, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now hold on a minute. If you go back to verse 4, Naomi said, go do this, and Boaz will tell you what to do. Do you see what she just did? She took Naomi's plan and then quickly put it into her plan. She adds to it and says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so Boaz doesn't even have a response yet. She takes the initiative to tell Boaz what they already we, we read in, in chapter 2, verse 20. You're a relative. You're a kinsman redeemer of ours. I mean, maybe she wanted to quickly make sure that her intentions were pure and holy. Uh, I'm not here, Boaz, to have sex with you. I'm here because you're a redeemer. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25 in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 25. In chapter 25, God's laws are recorded here in something called leveret marriage, in the sense that uh, if a brother uh, dies and he has a brother and there's a widow left over, that brother is, has a responsibility. It says here in verse 5 of chapter 25, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Imagine if that's something that was required of you today. We know from this text that he is obviously not a brother to um, Ruth's uh, husband who had died, but he is a close relative to either Elimelech, the father who died. He is a relative of some sort, and she points out that he is a redeemer who then can redeem uh, this wife. Or, if you read Leviticus 25, as I encouraged you last week to read, a kinsman could redeem the poor family members. The kinsman could buy back the land that had been sold and could care for uh, their family in that way. But she declares by saying, you're a redeemer. I want you to redeem me. I want you to marry me in the sense her proposing to Boaz. 
And he could have just said no. He could have just rebuked her and said, what are you doing here? He could have said, get out of here before we get caught. Uh, You're a Moabitess, no way. There's nothing in the law that requires me to do this because you're a foreigner. I mean, the list could go on. I mean, Boaz could have uh, uh, broken his integrity and taken advantage of her. I mean, all kinds of horrible things could have gone wrong, but you see him as a man of God, a man of integrity, and what he does is he does not touch her, but he shows his loving kindness for her and towards Naomi, his relative. Instead, he blesses Ruth. Look at verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He says you could have married someone younger. You could have married someone for uh, riches or poor, but younger than me. But he says you've done this great kindness, and he says you are a worthy woman. If you look there at verse 11, if you highlight, underline that word worthy, is this word in the Hebrew, hayel, which means of worth or excellence. And what's fascinating, it's the same word used to describe Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1. So Boaz is described as a worthy man, and Ruth is described as a worthy woman. Turn to Proverbs chapter 31 the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, where it describes a woman of God, a woman who fears God. And it says this in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. Now the word excellent there is the same word here used in worthy, and it says an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. You see, Boaz acknowledges that she is far more precious than jewels. She is a worthy woman. She is an excellent woman, just like he was described. And he even goes as far to say, all of my fellow townsmen agree and call you worthy. Before you leave Proverbs 31, though, if you read verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Therefore, men should praise the Lord for having women who are their wives who are worthy, as described here in Scripture. And so we have this dangerous, risky plan that Naomi sends Ruth on. We see that Ruth is a worthy woman who is obedient to her mother-in-law, and we see Boaz's response as a faithful redeemer in verses 12 through 18. Look with me in chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. He says in verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Uh Uh-oh. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Yes, it's true. I am one of your relatives. I can redeem you, but there's someone that comes before me in that line. And I wonder in that instance, in that moment, did Ruth and her hope just drop and hit the floor? Did, and he says, well, but hold on. Did she begin to worry? Boaz says, yes, I can redeem you. 
And I can marry you. And I can take over Naomi's land and care for it. But he's, again, a man of integrity. He's a worthy man. And he's obedient to the laws of God, as we've seen in this book. And he says there's a closer redeemer. And he comes first. And as I reflected on Boaz this week, um, just the word integrity continued to come to my mind. He's a man of integrity by being and following, uh, being obedient and following God's laws. And as I was reading in Proverbs, a couple of passages in Proverbs which declare uh, about a man of integrity. It says in Proverbs 10, verse 9, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. The person who walks with all integrity and Everything they say and everything they do will walk securely. But when we begin to be conniving and when we begin to try to twist things and to influence people in certain ways, when we begin to act in ways that are not in line with uh, walking in holiness and righteousness, we're not being people of integrity. Are you a person of integrity this morning that your yes is yes and your no is no? Are you following the Word of God as best as possible by the power of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to Him that you would be a person of integrity like Boaz here? It says in Proverbs chapter 28, in verse 18, Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. It's not uh, too long for many people when they don't walk in integrity before there is a great fall in their life. Therefore, look to Boaz and how he responds with care for Ruth and for Naomi. And he also is a person of integrity. And I pray that that would be said of every one of you here, that people would see your life and say that you fear God and that you are a person of integrity and that you are a worthy person just as described of Boaz and of Ruth. Look back at the text here in verse 13. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. He says, I'm going to make my oath here. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. But we must talk to the other relative first. So lay down, get some rest, and in the morning we will settle the matter at hand. And one of the things that we see here when he says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you, throughout the Old Testament, when you read Scripture, we see glimpses of Jesus Christ. If you read the Old Testament, all of Scripture points to Jesus as he teaches us when we read the gospel accounts of Jesus. But here... When you see the life of Boaz, you see Boaz as a type of Christ. You see a glimpse of Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In verses 10 and 11, speaking of Christ, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified 
All have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus Christ is that kinsman redeemer of his people, the brother who redeems his people from their sins. And therefore, all of us are born into this world as slaves to sin. We are standing on the slave trading block, and we need to be bought, and we need to be redeemed, and it can only happen by Jesus Christ, who is our great Redeemer. When you read in the book of Romans, chapter 12, we, chapter 5, verse 12, it says that we are born with the sin of Adam in the garden, and therefore none of us can redeem ourselves from our sinfulness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived, and Paul was writing to the Christians in Ephesus, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When you read in Genesis chapter 6, when God looked down upon the earth and he saw man and he decided to flood the earth and wipe out mankind and save Noah and his family, in Genesis 6 verse 5 it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you read Romans chapter 3, it tells us that no one is righteous, no one seeks God, no one searches after God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we must understand that not one of us deserves to be redeemed. Ruth did not deserve to be redeemed by Boaz or by the other kinsmen. But God in His faithfulness put that upon Boaz to do and brought that about. And none of us deserve the great Redeemer Jesus because we've broken God's laws and sinned against Him. And therefore, Scripture tells us the punishment for our sin is death, the wrath of God upon us. And you cannot escape the wrath of God unless you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we read the book of Hebrews, there's great joy, there's great assurance, great comfort when you read this book. It says in chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, He left His place in heaven and added humanity to His divinity, being born in the manger and lived a perfect, sinless life. He never sinned one time. Therefore, He can be and is the great Redeemer of His people because of what He has done. And Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When you read that verse in Galatians 3 verse 13, and it says Christ has redeemed us, it means this payment of a price to recover someone from the power of another, to ransom, to buy off 
to free God's people from the rule of the law requiring our death. Jesus Christ has redeemed his people when he shed his blood. His blood was shed to pay the price to save his people from their sins, the wrath of God, and death for eternity. I pray that you see the love of Christ for his people, that he would give his life to redeem them from their sins. And therefore, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and shed his blood, and as we were singing one of the verses a minute ago in the songs, that our sins were upon his shoulders, that God made him who knew no sin our sin so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. And Isaiah says, God the Father was pleased to crush his son. I mean, think of the weight of that for a moment. That God the Father was pleased to pour out his wrath on his son to punish his son to save his people from their sins. The love of God, the mercy of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God. Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. And the wonderful following point to the cross is three days later, the power of God is displayed. There's the empty tomb. The Redeemer does not stay in the tomb. And therefore, the Christian on Easter morning or any day of the week can sing, up from the grave he arose. Amen? Because we serve a living Savior. Our Redeemer is the one who is alive and ruling and reigning, and He will return. Therefore, Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer, loves His people. He calls His people into a relationship, and His people, when they see the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond, and they believe because Jesus Christ is great and glorious and our Redeemer Boaz would not let Ruth be put to shame. And Jesus does not let his people be put to shame. And just as Boaz gave an oath and says, As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Jesus Christ, by his word, redeems his people. All who confess him and believe. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I don't know about you, but I believe that this is the holy word of God, and therefore his word is true, it's sure, and it does not change. And therefore, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And therefore, as the Lord lives, he will not let his people be put to shame. Well, Ruth lays at his feet until early morning, Verse 14, that word for morning means just before the sunlight is coming up. And he says, hey, get up before anyone recognizes who's out here. And he says, let it not be, you know, we don't want anyone to know that uh, you were here during the nighttime. And so again, he protects her. I mean, again, he could have sent her home in the middle of the night. But her walking in the darkness by herself, a foreigner, is not a good thing. 
And there in verse 14, he says, give me your garment there. And he fills it up with six measures of barley. We don't know how much exactly six measures is. Last week we saw that, a, that the amount that he gave her was enough of a large dog bag full of grain that she was able to carry home herself. But he gives this so that Naomi knows that something will happen that day. I wonder if Naomi slept at all that night. I wonder if she was going, oh, this is a good plan, or no, this could be a wrong plan. This could be going bad. I don't know what's going to happen. And she shows up in the morning, and she says, how did you fare, my daughter? And I always think that question really is, are you Mrs. Boaz? Are you getting married? What's the date? Verse 16, though, Ruth tells Naomi, <clears throat> she told her all that the man had done for her. These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so the scene closes with Naomi having this hope and this confidence. The matter, the matter is going to take place. It's going to, everything is going to be worked out and many times you may, you may come across this and you read this like, well, Naomi did have a good plan. And you give her all the credit for having a good plan. But when you read the next chapter in chapter 4 and you read 1, 2, 3, and 4 together, that even though she had a plan that could have gone very bad and wrongly, it's the Lord who directs all of man's plans so that his ultimate plan takes place according to his ways and therefore, God is a good God with a great plan, and He will fulfill it. If we reflect on this chapter, and if the scriptural truth that pointed out this morning is that the love of God is seen in His plan of redemption for His people through Jesus Christ our Lord, to the Christians in this room, I ask you, do others see you as a worthy person as described of Boaz and Ruth, does the world see you as a person who fears God, has integrity before man, that your yes is yes and your no is no, that yes, you're not perfect, yes, we still battle and struggle with sin, but do, see, do people see Jesus Christ? Do they see the light of Christ shining forth from your life? I would encourage you to read the Word daily and pray that the Word of God would penetrate your heart and the Holy Spirit would apply it to your life and give you the ability to live by it. Therefore, when you come to decisions in life like plans, like Naomi making a plan for her daughter-in-law, like you making a plan for whatever happens in the rest of your days of your life, whatever plans that you set out, that in it you would seek the Lord in all of it, that you would in prayer, that you would ask the Lord to confirm and to show His plans for you, and that when He opens those doors and that opportunity, that you don't wait, but that you are one who takes action and follows the Lord and that you would be amazed at the, God, at the good plans that God has set for His people and what He follows through with. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, my encouragement, my plead with you would be that you would see Jesus Christ. 
the one of love and mercy, the great Redeemer, and that you would follow his calling to confess that he is Lord and believe that he has risen from death to life and that today would be the day of salvation for you. In the book of Job, we close with this verse. Job, who had lost everything and was afflicted by Satan, says this in Job chapter 19, verse 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Heavenly Father, it is our desire to see you today. It is our desire to see you working in our life, in our plans, in all of the aspects of every moment of our day. And so we ask this morning, Father, that you would open our eyes to see how you are working, that you would help us from your word to understand the work that you are doing in our lives, and that you would be directing us in your steps. Father, I pray for all who have come into this place that are far from you, that as you call them to you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would confess your Lord and believe that you are risen from death to life. And Father, for every Christian here, I pray that this morning you would continue to comfort them and to remind them and to give them assurance that you do not lose your people and that you care for every need physically, spiritually, emotionally, and that you are the one who will bring them to you for all eternity where they will see you in all your, your glory. Father, may you be blessed now as we sing and praise your name, Jesus. Amen.